reasons why you do what you do. And let me explain the reason why I move around like I do. When I was uh, a kid in 1961, I was in, I think, first grade, maybe kindergarten, I'm not sure. I was a kid. Pfft, I don't know what's going on. And uh, uh, the principal called my mother in. I was uh, mother and stepfather. The principal said to my mother, says, uh, you need to put him on Retlin. And this 1961, okay, so this is before all the stuff. They said, he can't sit still, ever. And to this day, I still cannot sit still. Um, and they said, you need to put him on Retlin. And my mother looked at him and said, no, we're not going to do that. And the principal said, well, what are we going to do? He just won't sit still. My mother reached over and grabbed my stepfather's belt, and she said, use this. I was in favor of Retlin. <laughs> Wait a minute, time out. I don't, I don't think I like this idea. Uh, my wife gives me a hard time because every chair in our house rocks. They all move. I had to buy her a chair that doesn't move. But I, and, and if you watch me, if you see me, I'm, I'm that way. I'm always moving. I'm never completely still. It is the way I am. Uh, that's the way God made me and the way he built me. So I don't have a problem with it. And, uh, you know, it's that way. And, and, and if, if I sit still, I fall asleep. So it's, you know, that's just not good. And uh, um, uh, so I move around. So because of that, and I, I can't stand in one particular place or, and move around, I, I have to take my messages and completely digest them uh, and make sure that I have it all memorized. Because sometimes I'm out there and I'm on the next point, and I have to remember what the next point is, which is why I use alliteration, because that helps me. I got the same letter going for the next point. You don't care, really. Church members don't care if your messages look pretty. See, look, look, look here. Look, this is, this is my message for this morning. Okay, there, there it is. Okay, there it is. And see, it's got these, see how pretty this looks. Isn't that, isn't that pretty? You don't care. It doesn't make one bit of difference to you how pretty it is. It doesn't matter. Amen. Does it, 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 does it make a difference? Does it have an effect? But this helps me, and this is the way I am, and this is the way I'm always going to be. I, I actually have tried not to move around, and it was awful. It was unbelievably awful. I, I just, I, 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 and, I, and I spent more time worrying about where I was and less time about the message. I also have a problem with my glasses. I have a tendency to take my glasses and play with them. Okay, so my wife says, that's annoying. You need to stop that. You need to stop playing with your glasses. So I said, okay, you know, you know, the wife tells you something and say, okay, maybe I better do that. So I got this rubber band thingy to put around your head, you know, to hold your glasses in place. And while I was preaching, I forgot I had it. Okay. And I went like this and took my glasses off and they came out of my hand and hit me right in the face. <laughs> and you know, that's one of those ones where your, your nose runs and your eyes water and you go, Whoa, and, and the church is dying laughing, okay? They're falling over themselves. And, and I'm trying to get my wits back because I've just punched myself right in the nose. And, uh, and I thought, we're not doing that, and I don't care. I've, and sometimes when I get done preaching, i got to go hunt up my glasses, hunt up my coat. You know, I, I, I don't know what I did with them. They're out there somewhere. So, you know, this is, this is who I am, and I have discovered I tried to be somebody else. My pastor took me aside and said, look, God saved who you are, and he uses who you are. So be you. He's not, he's not interested 
in somebody else. He's interested in you being you. And so I've learned that. I'm just who I am. And say, well, some people don't like that. You're going to have to take it up with God. I didn't make me. He did. You know, so I, I live with it this way. Besides the fact, I probably don't like who you are. <laughs> Big deal, you know. Uh, this, uh, a preacher told me one time, he says, you know, Brother Harbin, I don't like you. I said, that's all right. I don't like you either. <laughs> he said, no, I, no. I, said, I was just kidding with you. I said, well, I'm not. I don't like you. And he, he goes, oh, okay. And I said, why don't you just go away? Okay. And he didn't know what to do. Uh, uh, open your Bibles, if you will, to 2 Kings chapter 5, verse number 1. You say, I wonder what Brother Harbin's thinking. Don't worry about it. I've already said it. I'm not that deep. Amen. There's a lot of things I say that never even pass through my brain. They just seem to just come out. Okay. You'll see that as the, week's, as the week goes along. I have a tendency to be that way. And my wife just goes, oh, no. And I'll be preaching along. And my wife usually sits, she plays the piano. She usually sits second pew, right about where you're at. Second pew, piano side, all the time. And you'll see me when I come into church, I always go to the piano side of the church, whether my wife's with me or not. I have, I'm a trained puppy, okay? That's what it is. I, I've been trained to do this, and I go over and sit on the piano side. And I was upset because you were sitting in my row, so I had to sit a row back. So I'm mad, and I'm going to be mad at you all week long. And uh, she sits piano side, second pew, all right? And I'll be preaching along, and I'll look over, and she's doing this. And I know I think, I've said something. I have no idea what I've said. And, I'm, and so I'm preaching to people, and I'm backtracking what I've said to try to remember what I've said something wrong, and I know it. And, and so I backtrack to figure out what I've said. And then afterwards, I said, okay, what did I say? She said, you said this. I did not. She said, it's on tape. So I'm used to making a huge amount of mistakes, and uh, I've, I've gotten used to being me, and I think my wife told me at our 50th anniversary, she'll tell me whether it was a good idea to marry me or not. Uh, by the way, that's coming up in two months, and so we'll find out one way or the other. <laughs> Amen. All right, if you will, I want you to do something with me. I want you to stand with me, please, and we're turning to 2 Kings chapter 5. We'll read the first 19 verses. Okay? We're going to deal with a man, and his name is Naaman. It says, Now Naaman, captain of the host of the king of Syria, was a great man with his master and honorable, because by him the Lord had given deliverance unto Syria. He was also a mighty man in valor, but he was a leper. And the Syrians had gone out by companies and brought away captive out of the land of Israel a little maid, and she waited on Naaman's wife. And she said unto her mistress, Would God, my Lord, were with the prophet that is in Samaria, for he would recover him of his leprosy. And one went in and told his Lord, saying, Thus and thus said the maid that is of the land of Israel. And the king of Syria said, Go to, go, and I will send a letter unto the king of Israel. And he departed and took with him ten talents of silver and six thousand pieces of gold and ten changes of raiment. He brought the letter to the king of Israel, saying, Now when this letter is come unto thee, behold, I have therewith sent Naaman my servant to thee, that thou mayest recover him of his leprosy. And it came to pass, when the king of Israel had read the letter, that he rent his clothes and said, Am I God to kill and to make alive, that this man does send unto me to recover a man of his leprosy? Wherefore, consider, I pray you, and see how he seeketh a quarrel against me. And it was so, when Elisha, the man of God, had heard that the king of Israel had rent his clothes, that he sent to the king, saying, Wherefore hast thou rent thy clothes? Let him come now to me, and he shall know that there is a prophet in Israel. So Naaman came with his horses and with his chariots and stood at the door of the house of Elisha. And Elisha sent us a messenger unto him, saying, Go, and 
Wash in Jordan seven times, and thy flesh shall come up again to thee, and thou shalt be clean. But Naaman was wroth and went away and said, Behold, I thought he will surely come out to me and stand and call on the name of the Lord his God and strike his hand over the place and recover the leper. Are not Abana and Farpar rivers of Damascus better than all the waters of Israel? May I not wash in them and be clean? So he turned and went away in a rage. And his servants came near and spake unto him and said, My father, if the prophet had bid thee do some great thing, wouldst thou not have done it? How much rather then, when he saith to thee, wash and be clean? Then he went down, and he dipped himself seven times in Jordan, according to the saying of the man of God. And his flesh came again like unto the flesh of a little child, and he was clean. And he returned to the man of God, he and all his company came and stood before him, and he said, Behold, now I know that there is no God in all the earth but in Israel. Now therefore I pray thee, take a blessing of thy servant. But he said, As the Lord liveth before whom I stand, I will receive none. And he urged him to take it, but he refused. And Naaman said, Shall there not then, I pray thee, be given to thy servant two mules, burden of earth? For thy servant will henceforth offer neither burnt offerings nor sacrifices unto other gods, but unto the Lord. In this thing the Lord pardon thy servant, that when my master goeth into the house of Rimon to worship there, and he leaneth on my hand, and I bow myself in the house of Rimon, when I bow my, down myself in the house of Rimon, the Lord pardon thy servant in this thing. And he, and he said unto him, Go in peace. So he departed from him a little way. Let's pray. Father, thank you again for your blessings. Thank you for these who have come out. Thank for you for your faithfulness. I want to thank you for the safety in getting me here. Lord, you protect how easily the devil can destroy if given an opportunity. But I know that your hand of protection is upon us. I ask your protection will be upon us at the camp. I pray for those who will be traveling out that you'll protect them. Some will be going back and forth. I pray, God, that you'll protect them as they travel, how the devil would like to destroy and cause problems. But I know, God, your hand is much more powerful. Pray now, Father, you be in these services. I pray your spirit will walk amongst us, deal with hearts. Maybe there's someone here today that's lost, that they might be saved. I pray your spirit will fill me now and use me today, for we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. Let me say this in opening about the man Naaman. He's a real man. This is not some fairy tale. This is not Aesop's fable. This is a real man. He really existed. God put him in the Bible for a purpose. There's a reason behind everything that God does. This man, I believe, is saved. I believe we'll meet him in heaven. He creates a difficulty to most modern theologians, particularly the Bible church crowd, who believe in a different salvation in the Old Testament as the New Testament. They try to tell us that they had to keep the sacrifices to get in heaven in the Old Testament. But uh, Hebrews chapter 10 tells us that the sacrificing of animals never takes away sin. So even in the Old Testament, it didn't take away sin. This man never partakes of the sacrifices as far as we know. Did you know Daniel never partook of any sacrifices? He never partook of the Passover. They didn't have the Passover when Daniel was alive uh, and didn't have it till after his death. So the idea of taking of the sacrifices for salvation kind of goes out the window. Salvation has always been by grace through faith. Here is a Gentile. Now also let me point out something else. The physical miracle that takes place upon Naaman is not what saves Naaman. It is his heart in the belief in the Lord God of Israel. Never mistake that. In the Gospels, you will find people having miracles, whether it be a, a, of leprosy, in this case, and eyesight, 
or of walking or things like that, then many times these miracles will be a picture of salvation, but doesn't necessarily mean that salvation has happened to the person that the miracle is upon. A good example of it is the healing of the ten lepers. As far as we know, only one of them has real salvation, the Samaritan. So you take that involved with this. So this guy creates several problems. When I examine the man Naaman and I look at the, uh, the portion of scripture that is here, I find some qualities, some good qualities that are listed about him. The first thing the Bible says about him and clarifies, it says in verse number one, now Naaman, captain of the host of the king of Syria, was a great man. This is a great man. And it emphasizes that fact about his greatness. Uh, but it also goes on to say something else about him. Not only was he a great man with his master and honorable. All great men are not honorable men. You need to understand that. By way of example, let me explain and let me show you by illustration. There is a man named Clinton, Bill Clinton, who is president of the United States. They declare him to be a great man. But I will say to you, he is not an honorable man. Would you let your daughter be around that man? I wouldn't. I have three daughters. I wouldn't let that man come anywhere near my daughter. None of them. Why? Because he's not an honorable man. Though our society might declare him to be a great man. Now God declares this man to be a great man. He also refers to him as being an honorable man. Then it declares a third thing about him. It says about him that he is a man of valor. Amen. That's a man not only with just integrity in that, but he is a man who goes out to war. He, he's the kind of general who leads his army. He just doesn't tell his army. He gets in front and he tells his soldiers, let's go this way, and off they go together and leads that attack. He is a man of valor. He has proven himself on the battlefield. Do you know the truth of the matter is? You'd want your sons to be like Naaman. Amen. An honorable man, a good man, a great man, a man of valor. He has all the qualities. And then there's a word, but. Did you know that that word wipes out all that has been said to replace it with what's going to be said? He is a leper. Everything else considered is wiped away because of the fact that he has leprosy. That gives us the circumstance and situations of the condition of where we're at. Then something happens. Haman's army, under the direction of the king of Syria, goes into Israel, attacks Israel, destroys a village, and carries away captives. One of the captives is a maid, a little maid, the Bible says. How old is she? I don't know. What is her name? I don't know. Why? The Bible doesn't say. That's why I don't know. Okay? A lot of people like to put things in that are not there. I don't know how old she is. I'm assuming that she's probably 12 to 15 years old. That's an assumption. What her name is? I have no idea. No idea. God knows who she is. This little girl is carried away and she becomes servant. Naaman takes her as a slave and makes her servant to his wife. This whole account and the the scripture revolves around this little girl. Without her, none of this is going to happen. Do you understand that? Because there with her, she is in a situation as the maid to Naaman's wife. 
She sees Naaman who has leprosy. Obviously, it is noticeable and well-known, okay? <clears throat> she says, would to God that he were in Israel with the prophet of Israel. He would heal him of his leprosy. Now, let me say a couple of things about this little girl before I get to the preaching. I'm not preaching yet, just so you know. I'm just talking. We'll get to the preaching in a little bit. Uh, let me say some things about this little girl. She, she, her village has been destroyed. Where are her parents? You know, Naaman's army may have killed her parents, may have killed her siblings. It's regardless, has burned down her village, and if nothing else, may have sold her family into slavery. You know what most of us would react with? Good. I hope he dies a slow, miserable death. Amen. Right? You get yourself worked up in bitterness about some little thing, this little girl's life has been turned upside down. This little girl's life has been completely destroyed. And you want me to feel sorry for you because somebody didn't treat you right? We had a woman in our church. Her name was Gail. Gail was always being offended by every little thing. Oh, she, she'd come to church and I could see it on her face. This had gone on for several years. She'd come in and I could see it in her, in her look. That, so, that somebody was going to say something that was going to hurt her feelings and she was going to pout. Maybe skip church for a couple of weeks before she came back. And it got to be an aggravation to me. I thought to myself, this is stupid. This is ridiculous. She is just a little girl. She, she's a baby. She's being a baby. So she walked into church on a Sunday morning before Sunday school. And I saw it in her eyes. I could see it. She's, this is going to be a problem today. And I went back there. I went back by her. I walked back by her, she was standing in the back, and I went like this, and I went like that. And she looked at me, she said, what's that? I said, I just knocked a chip off your shoulder. And if you're coming in here to pout and get hurt your feelings because somebody said something to you, then get yourself back in your car and go home. Or shut up and sit down. She went over and sat down. I never had a problem with it again. I don't know if she had a problem with it, but I didn't have a problem with it. Get bitter and hurt feelings over a bunch of little things that really don't matter. This girl's life has been destroyed. And yet, two things are prevalent. She is concerned about the man who has destroyed her village and her family. And she's not lost her faith in God. I believe that there's a prophet in Israel that can take care of this. Nothing happens without her. Then a whole lot of other people get involved and everything becomes distorted. Amen. Isn't that the way of man? Everything becomes distorted. And then Naaman goes to the king, his king in Syria. The king of Syria says, take all this money and stuff and go to the king of Israel. And the king of Israel will recover you. You know, God allows these kind of things. One of the things that's noticeable here, a whole lot of people get involved with what's going to happen to Naaman. Why? God likes it that way. God likes it. Uh, he wants to show people who he is. When, when a person gets saved, he wants that person to show it to everybody. Why? Because it's what he has done. Amen. What, so God saves somebody and they go back to work or they go back to, to, to wherever they're at, to their family, their relatives. Hey, tell everybody. Amen. Why? God wants it. He doesn't do things in secret. He does things out and open. In fact... When he talks about it to Paul, he says to him, he says, this thing was not, Paul makes that statement, this thing was not done in a secret place, it's done out in the open. 
So, but neither one of them, none of them can do him any good. And, amen, the world can't do Naaman any good. He knows it. But Elisha hears about it. Now, let me say this about Elijah, and I may preach one or two more messages about him, because I really like Elijah. Elijah's my prophet. I love the man. This is my kind of guy. So what are you talking about? In 2 Kings chapter number 2, he's with Elijah, who's considered to be Israel's greatest prophet. Okay? He is the man, Israel's greatest prophet. Him and Moses, that's the top two. Okay? And Elijah looks over to Elijah and said, what do you want? Elisha says, I want twice as much as what you got. You know, people say, well, that's arrogance. That's not arrogance, that's boldness. And if you bother to study that out, you'll find that God gave him twice as much. He did twice as many miracles as Elijah did that are recorded in the scriptures. But Elisha hears about it. He says, send him to me. So he sends Naaman over to him. And now a series of events takes place. And I want to preach to you about what takes place here. Okay, now, that I'm done talking, and we'll start preaching, okay? Y'all with me? Y'all with me? Okay, good, all right. That's all introduction. Got all that out of the way so I can get to this. And I want you to see the issue of Naaman. And I want to preach it around the idea of I thought. The words of Naaman, I thought. So look with me, please, at some of the things that take place in this portion of Scripture. I want you to notice that which happens here. Get my glasses on so I don't, and don't make mistakes with my own notes. Amen. Uh, I want you to see some things. The first thing I want you to see is that statement by Naaman. He makes that statement in verse number 11. Elisha doesn't even come out unto him. He sends out his servant, who we later learn the guy's name is Gehazi. And he sends him out and tells him to tell him to do this. He doesn't even come out unto him. Now, here comes Naaman in all his pomp. He's in his chariot. He's got his full dress uniform. He's got all his award stats to the side here. You know, he's got his shining armor. He's got all his soldiers. He's got all the gold, the silver, the raiments, all that kind of stuff. And he shows up at the door with Elisha, and Elisha doesn't even come out. He says, uh, yeah, go tell him to do this. Naaman said, I thought. You know, I thought he'd come out there and, and he'd do some hocus-pocus thing and he'd smack his hands and lightning would come down and strike me and I'd be clean. It's not that way. I thought. I thought. One of the problems with many people staying lost is what they think. I think it should be this way. I think it's this way. I think it's that. You know what? Who cares what you think? Uh, can I tell you something about your opinion? It will die with you. And that's it. But what God says will never die. It always lives. I look at the issue here with what Naaman says. He says, I thought. This is his consideration. This is, this is his statement. Uh, he had, may I say this to you? Naaman had his own way. Now look at me, and let me say this to you. You keep your finger in, in 2 Kings chapter 5, but go to Proverbs, and we're going to look at some verses in Proverbs as we go along. I'm going to keep coming back to the book of Proverbs. And I want you to go to Proverbs chapter number 14. Proverbs chapter number 14. Very familiar verse. 
Proverbs chapter 14, look at verse number 12. Listen to what it says. It says, There is a way which seemeth right unto a man, but the end thereof are the ways of death. I want you to notice what it says here. Uh, notice the first word, way. It's singular. Notice the second word, ways, is plural. Here's, here's what God's saying. A man comes along and says, This is what I think. I think this is how you get to heaven. I think this is what you need to do. You know, there is a way which seemeth right unto a man, singular, amen. They are the ways of death. You have an opinion, he has an opinion, he has an opinion, he has an opinion. All differing opinions, you know what they are? They're all the ways of death. They all end up in the same place. They all end up in hell. That's the problem. Have you ever seen the sign on the back of the, the, the car, coexist? You ever seen that sign? Those are all religious symbols. I would like to go up, when I see that sign, I have this urge to jump out of my car, run up there and rip it off the back end of the car because it's the most stupidest sign that you've ever seen. Coexist, we all need to get along. You know, everybody is sincere and everybody's on their way to heaven. No, they're not. No, they're not. There's one thing that is very, very clear. The majority of religion in the world is a works religion. People say, well, you know, I want to study religion so I know how to defeat them, you know, and how to argue the point. I was out on visitation one time, went out and knocking on the door and knocked on the door of this lady and she came out and I began to tell her who we were and where we're from. She says, oh, I'm a Buddhist. I said, oh, you're a Buddhist. I don't know what a Buddhist is. What is a Buddhist? She said, well, you know, you, if you live right, you get to come back and reincarnation as something else. And apparently as she talked, you get reincarnated, you work up the line till you become a cow. Okay. I don't think I want to become a cow. I don't know about you, but becoming a cow doesn't sound like a good idea to me. I don't feel like being somebody's lunch down the road, okay? That doesn't sound like a real good idea to me. You know, I go out and buy dinner, and there's a cow there, and I'm thinking, well, <laughs> he didn't go real well, did it? No, okay. And, uh, and she's telling me this. I said, hmm, okay, so you, you come into, until you get to nirvana. I think nirvana is their big heaven thingy. And I said, oh, okay. I said, well, ma'am, I don't believe that. I said, uh, I'm a Christian. I believe in the, the Lord Jesus Christ. I said, but according to your religion, well, what happens to me? Do I come back as a bug or something like that? You know? And she says, oh, no, but you've been a good person, so you'll come back better. <laughs> oh, okay. Uh, yeah. And I looked at her. The truth of the matter is, why do I want to believe what you believe? See, I went either way. I'm coming out of this ahead. There is a way that seemeth right unto a man, the end thereof, the ways of death. We've got all these religious philosophies, all these ideas out there, and they all have the same basic principle. I'm going to work my way into heaven. I'm going to be good enough so that I can get in. And the truth of the matter is it never satisfies the heart. You cannot be good enough. Well, you need to understand something, preacher. I thought this is what I think. This is the way I think it should be. So does that satisfy your heart? You sure about your destination? There's a verse in the Bible, 1 John chapter 5, verse number 13. These things are written that ye may know. So do you know? That you may know that you have eternal life. Well, do you know? Well, preacher, nobody can know. No, wait a minute. That verse says that ye may know. These things are written, talking about the scriptures, that ye may know. 
that you have eternal life. Do you know? You say, well, uh, nobody can know. Well, th that verse says that you can know. May I say to you, you say that everybody, you just can't know. I'm saying to you that the scriptures say you can know. And may I also include, I do know. Personally, for me. Do you know for you? And if you don't know, then you got a problem. Naaman says, I thought. That's his reasoning. This is, this is a, listen, your reasoning's not doing you any good. It's not improving your condition. It's not improving your circumstances. You need to leave your reasoning and let it go. But here's the problem. You know what he does? He goes away in a rage. Said as he was wroth and went away in a rage. He's mad. You know why he's mad? Because he's proud. He's arrogant. He says, I'm Naaman. I'm the man. I'm a mighty man of valor. I've led armies into war. I've defeated nations. Nobody's like me. I'm the best there is. I'm arrogant. I'm proud. I'm David. And he's going to die of leprosy. You know what leprosy does? It's a slow-moving disease. It's a horrible disease. Do you know it still exists today? There are still leper colonies today. It rots away the fingers first. You get sores all over your body and they ooze pus from them. And then it rots away your fingers, and your fingers fall off, and your toes. Then your nose, all the things, your nose falls off. Boy, you think you're ugly now. Nose falls off, your ears fall off. Then the sickness overtakes you. It is a slow, agonizing, painful death. Naaman? You are a fool. Look at me. Look at who I am. Look, look, I, I, I've conquered nations. Yeah? But look what's happening to you. You're going to die of this disease. You say, oh, I don't care what you say, preacher. I have my pride. And it'll put you in hell. On July the 16th, 1978, I was in our church's camp meeting. We, we ran our camp from Sunday to Sunday. We had it underneath a tent in Michigan in July. Boy, it was warm. And uh, I, I'm, I was the song leader for the camp. God had been convicting me all week long. I had prayed the prayer. I had said the words, and somebody told me I was okay. And that was, I was getting beat up. The Spirit of God was slowly beating on me and beating on me. And so I'm sitting in my chair on Sunday morning. We've had preaching six messages a day for six, seven days now. This is the eighth day of the meeting. And I'm sitting over there about where I was sitting earlier. And the Lord's saying, you're lost. You're lost. You're lost. And you're going to split hell wide open. Yeah, but I've done this. I'm this, my pride. God says, you're lost. And it got to the point where God spoke to me and said, you're going to die and split hell wide open if you don't do something now. And I finally decided, forget the pride. Forget what everybody thinks of me. I don't care. I need to be saved. And I'm going to tell you what, if you'd have tried to stop me, to get to that altar, I'd have, I'd have pushed you out of the way. 
It, uh, it's amazing to me we have to drag people to the altar. When it, God dealt with my heart, you didn't have to drag me. In fact, if you'd have got my way, I'd have pushed you out of the way. I was going to come to that altar. I needed to be saved. I needed this. I got up there and, and I, this burden and I'm shaking all over. You know, we, we don't have any, any trembling. We don't have any tears anymore. People come to the altar popping bubble gum and I wonder, what in the world's the matter with this? Where's the conviction? God got a hold of my heart. Man come up and he's showing me scripture. He's a friend of mine and he's showing me scripture and I, I'm just in agony. I don't know what he's showing me. I'm just in agony. And then in my heart, Lord said, just, just take me. I asked him to save me, and he did. So this guy's still showing scripture, and I set up. And a thousand pound weight's been taken off my shoulders. And he's still showing scriptures. I don't know what he's doing, you know. His name was Ed. And he looks at me, and he said, uh, something happened? He said, yeah. I just got saved. Yeah, but I'm not done. <laughs> you can't get saved till you're done, right? You got to take you through the whole thing. Listen, I got to take him through it and backwards and forwards. Amen. I, and, and see, before somebody told me I was saved, this time I told him I was saved. God say, you know what? I knew. I knew in here. I looked around. There's a whole bunch of people at the altar. I said, what are all these people doing at the altar? Well, what had happened is when I came forward, the pastor thought I was coming forward to give a testimony, and he stuck a microphone in my face. It's the last thing I wanted to see. He put that microphone in the face, and I said, I'm lost, and I hit the deck. He said, well, you kind of started something. We had 35 church members saved that Sunday morning out of a congregation of about 350 people, so about 10% of the church. You say, well... Baptist church, and you guys didn't preach the gospel? Yeah, we preached the gospel. Hey, Jesus had Judas. Be careful. Not everybody's sitting in the pews. You know, I found that saved church members make better church members. I said, what are you talking about? Yeah. I found that many times that the individual who wanted to give me all the problems, his problem was not all these things. His problem was salvation. had a man come visit our church. His name was Rod. And I went and visited him and his wife. And He gives me his testimony. He, what had happened is he wanted to marry Angela. She was a member of a Baptist church. And the pastor said, well, I'm not going to do it unless you're saved. And he said, what do I got to do to be saved? He said, we got to repeat this prayer. He said, so I repeated the prayer. He said, so the pastor said, I'm okay. And they baptized me and I got married to Angela. I got what I wanted. What was that? Angela. Not the Lord. Okay, so we go back out into the car. And my deacon, who was with me, he looks at me, he says, Pastor, he's lost. I said, yeah, I know that, but he doesn't know that. He said, what are we going to do? He's going to come join the church. I said, I have no idea. I'm about 30 years old. I have no, I have no clue. And uh, so I went home. And so being wise, I sought counsel. So I called up a couple of old preachers, you know, figured, hey, they're old. They must know more, right? <laughs> and uh, uh, anyway... I called up this one preacher friend of mine. I said, look, I said, uh, this guy's going to come join the church Sunday, and he's lost, but he don't know he's lost. He thinks he's saved. He said, well, Bob, you know, Jesus had Judas. I said, yeah, look how that turned out. I don't want Judas. Mm -mm -mm -mm. 
And, and, and uh, so I'm, I'm up preaching Sunday morning. I'm preaching on John chapter 9. The last message I'd preached a series on it. It was the last message, and I'm preaching on the, the John chapter 9, the very end of it, where the man gets saved. And, and uh, sure enough, service in, here comes Rod. And I'm thinking, oh, boy, what am I going to do? What am I going to do? I don't know what to do here. I have no idea. I walk over, and I walk over by Rod. I said, uh, Rod, what'd you come for? And he looked at me, tears in his eyes, and he said, preacher. He said, I'm lost. And I went, phew. Boy, I sure am glad you're lost. <laughs> he became my treasurer. He was my treasurer for 25 years. Good man, solid man. But God had to save him. I thought, your rage, my pride. I'm going to do it my way. But there was a response by those who loved him. See the servants? My father, if he'd asked you to do some hard thing, wouldn't you have done it? Wouldn't you have done that? Here's, when you're working on people and you're trying to convince people to get saved, and maybe you get them to come to church and hear the, the preaching, and generally if they don't get saved, you know what it is? They find some fault with the preacher. I had one lady tell one of the members of our church, that pastor of yours has got beady eyes and he hypnotizes you while you preach, while he preaches. That's what she said. He hypnotizes. He looks at you and he... And I, I thought to myself, if I'm hypnotizing him, I'm not doing a real good job because they're like herding cats, amen? They're supposed to be sheep and sheep are easier to herd. Cats don't herd very easily and I, I can't get them to cooperate with practically anything and, and you, want to, you want to tell me that I'm hypnotizing, I would think I'd do a much better job. But that's got to find something wrong with the preacher. It's that preacher, amen? Uh, yelling and screaming, I, you know, I, I don't like him at all. There's something wrong with him, Amen. Now, the problem you have is not with the preacher. The problem you have is with God. And these, and listen, you, the, the opportunity you have, when, 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 don't, don't fall into their trap and go along with them. Say, well, I'm trying to go along with them to win them. Uh-uh. No, no. You see what they said? They reasoned with them. They said, look, look, if he'd ask you to do something hard, if he'd ask you to, to, to go out and fight some war, wouldn't you have done that? See, Naaman had his own religion. He had his own beliefs. He believed that his rivers were better than the Jordan. That Jordan is not the, his salvation, and don't put water in as part of salvation, please. That's not what the scriptures are doing here. But what God is saying to him, you have what you have, what I have is better. You don't think it's better, but it is. May I say to you, listen to me, folks. I want you to understand something. Don't create more of a problem and don't go along with a sinner's ways. Don't fall in line with them. Say, look, what's the condition of your heart? What's the condition of your soul? Are you in a place? Are, are you any better? First time I went to a Baptist church, I was 17 years old. It was October 1972. I went in there and I listened to this big redneck Baptist preacher get up and preach. He was from Kentucky. All right, that helps you any at all. And if you've ever heard preachers from Kentucky, all they can do is yell and holler and turn bright red. And, uh, and he's up there yelling and screaming and hollering. A friend of mine had got me to come to church. And, and I, I told my friend afterward, I looked at him, I said, that's crazy. I would never do that. Okay. God has a sense of humor. But the people of that church treated me 
with love and kindness. And it drew me back to that place in, 19, in 1973. Now listen to me, folks. You can make a huge difference in a lost sinner. But don't go along with their beliefs. Don't go along with their stand. So Naaman says, okay. He dunks himself seven times. He's healed. And when he's healed, he realizes the God of Israel is the God. And that's where he gets saved. And you see his rejoicing. He comes back to give Elisha a blessing. Elijah won't take it because he does not want to break the issue of the type and picture of salvation that's declared in the scriptures. God has told him, don't take anything. Don't take, I don't want you messing with this thing. Now listen to me, folks. I want you to understand something. There is a distinct difference in Naaman as soon as he gets saved. You know what he says? I need God to pardon me in this thing. Isn't that amazing? He was already convicted about something he's doing. And said, so I, I got a problem. It's amazing how the Spirit of God will instruct you in these things once you get saved. Hey, I can't do that anymore. I can't go to the bars. I, I can't watch these TV shows. I, 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 I can't drink. I can't smoke. I, I can't do these things. I can't look the way I look. It, it's amazing. And, and the preacher didn't have to preach. I, I wonder how that, do you ever wonder how that happened? I'm just confused how that happens. I'm not. It's the Spirit of God. But listen to me. I want you to understand something. Don't let what you think send you to hell. It's not worth it. Say, preacher, I'm a good man. I do all the right things. But you haven't been saved and you know it. What will people think? Who cares? Who cares? What are they going to think at the judgment when they see you cast into hell in the lake of fire forever? What will you think? The rich man just wanted a drop of water. And truthfully, one more chance. Well, this is your chance. This is your opportunity. Don't pass it up. You may never, ever get another one. Don't die on I thought. Don't let your opinion and your pride put you in hell. It's not worth it. And for those of us who are saved today, we ought to be like Naaman's soldiers and the little maid. But more importantly, is there someone here today who doesn't know the Lord? Today could be your day of salvation, but that's up to you. I can't make you. I won't make you. I will just call you and let the Spirit of God deal with you. Don't die without Christ. It's your choice.
And now is your opportunity. And another one may never come. Heads bowed and eyes closed. I don't know how you operate your invitations, so I'm going to turn it over to the pastor real soon. But I would say to you, my friend, don't die without Christ. Don't die lost. Don't die and split hell wide open. This is your chance. This is your opportunity. Take it. Take it. July the 16th, 1978. I knew it was my last chance. I knew it in my heart. And I thought, I don't want to die and go to hell. It's just not worth it. My pride's not worth it. And I got out of my seat. And I got saved. And I am so glad I did. And you know what? Other people were happy I did, too. I didn't think they would be, but they were. And it's changed my whole life. And I've got a life that I really like. What are you going to do? What are you going to do? Pastor.